When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Namaste, motherfuckers. Welcome to Namaste, motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Monroe Bagging and Flat Earthers and it contains some good old conspiracy theory bants. Top of the conspiracy theory charts are, coming in at number four, Paul McCartney is dead. At number three, Elvis is alive. Coming in at number two, Big Pharma is withholding the cure for cancer. And topping the conspiracy theory charts at number one, reptilian humanoids live among us with the intention of enslaving the human race. Obvs. I know I didn't mention moon landings or Bill Gates, but get over yourselves, it's my podcast. There's a conspiracy theory that the term conspiracy theory was coined by the CIA in the 1960s to discredit anyone who questioned the official version of JFK's assassination. Apparently, you're more likely to believe conspiracy theories if you're a narcissist. Rigged election, anyone? The Vatican's chief exorcist said that Harry Potter books are a turn to the devil, which I find less surprising than the fact that the Vatican has a chief exorcist. And Iran's state TV says the Potter books are a Zionist conspiracy. And here's one from my primate zookeeper son. A group of lemurs is called a conspiracy. I can't quite hear you yet. I'm, I'm just getting myself sorted out. I'm going to get my, I'm going to move to where my good microphone is. That's my guest today, Mr. Ed Byrne. Members of the Flat Earth Society famously believe the Earth is flat. To clarify, Ed Byrne does not believe the Earth is flat. But a recent YouGov poll found that just 66% of American adults between the ages of 18 and 24 believe the world is round. Shit. And 2% of all Americans firmly believe the Earth is flat. Talking of flat earthers, Spanish football club Mostoles Balompi, I guarantee I didn't say that right, has renamed itself Flat Earth FC, with its president announcing the club is now dedicated to the Flat Earth movement. Here we go. How does that sound? Oh, that's lovely. You're frozen on video, but your voice sounds good. Ed Byrne is a self-proclaimed, outdoor-trekking, cat-loving, stand-up comedian. You'll know him from just about every comedy panel and TV show there is. He's what you could call a seasoned professional, having taken up stand-up back in 1993 when he was still at university. In fact, he gave up uni and became a stand-up. So kids, fuck uni, follow your dreams. He's also a keen walker and has recently launched his celebrity trekking podcast, Adventuring. See what he did there? 
Ed and I talked about horticulture, homeschooling, living under a flight path, pandemic-aged tour material, zookeeping, conspiracy theories, of course, science, humanism, getting angry, and the great outdoors. But I started by asking him about his upcoming tour. I already did Cambridge Corn Exchange, played yeah. to 1,200 odd people. But no need to show off, but that's very nice for but, you. you know, but for some reason, I'm going back to the junction to play to 120 people tomorrow. So is the worry that some of those 1,200 will be there and they'll see you doing the same thing? I am I am concerned about that. And I, I registered my concern with the promoter about that. And they said, no, don't worry. I'm sure it won't be the case. We know that's not true, don't we? I I feel it's not true. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty dirty. I mean... The, the poster is the same poster and the show title is the same show title. Yeah. But I think a lot of people go, oh, hey, Bernie, I saw him, what, 18 months ago? Oh, so again. you did it 18 months ago and now you're going back. Yeah, of course, because you're dusting it down post-pandemic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The question is, will they remember it better than you do? Well, there's a good chance they will, Ed. I actually did my first one back uh, on Friday. No, last Wednesday it was. I drove down to... Liscard in Cornwall. I know it well. I have a cottage near Liscard in Cornwall. It's a fact. Yeah. Well, I wish I'd known that. You could have stayed I say there. I wish I'd known yeah. that. I'm assuming you would let me stay in your cottage. <laughs> totally. I I'd have kicked keys. out the Airbnbs and just put you in. I'd have been like, fuck you. Ed Byrne is in town. Did you pick Cornwall because it's a long drive and you needed the drive to learn your show? No, it, they just asked. And I had been there before, I think, a, n- nearly 10 years ago. Uh, and done a, a preview there, done a, an Edinburgh preview there. But I did listen to my own show on the way down, and it was weird. It did was you weird. like I, it? What I was did, it like? actually. How many stars would you give it? Uh, it was the finest comedy I've ever seen. Three yeah. stars. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, a bit ropey, five stars. Um, no, I, I did, I, and, I, and I found, I realised it was a lot I'd forgotten, and I really did need to listen to it. But I did find myself going, that's quite a good joke, that. <laughs> well, that's good. It's better than the other way around. But have you got things that have dated? I mean, presumably we don't all make our kids and ourselves age appropriate. I guess you have to be honest about your own age because people can Google that, but your kids could still be too. But were there things, what were the dated references where you were like, oh, shit, got to update that or ditch that? Um, oh, just a couple of one-liners here and there. There's a reference to the disappointment of the final season of Game of Thrones. That's just... That's just gone. No yeah. one cares. No, that's just what game of yeah. Was that the was that the one with Kevin Spacey? Like people, I yeah. just can't quite. Um, that's been long surpassed by Tiger King, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, I just, but that wasn't a routine around that. That's just a, it was a, an easy thing to just let go as a just a little line, and then other stuff. Some like I had a, I have an extended routine about how men's rights activists crystallized around Mad Max Fury Road and how that was the start of the real MRA men hating films with female action heroes in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, now that that film is even older, like when I was doing it before, that film was like you were pushing six, it seven before. years old. Yeah. yeah. 
Now it's close to 10 years old. It feels yeah. more like I'm teaching a class in cinematic history. Yes. So it actually works better <laughs> that that's more dated. Yeah. Because I'm really going, I'm talking about, like, nobody cared about Sigourney Weaver and Alien. Nobody cared about Linda Hamilton and the Terminator films. But for some reason now, the knives are out for Captain Marvel and Wonder yeah. Woman and Star Wars. And this was the film where it all started. Yeah. And it's, so, it just feels a bit more like, the fact that there's a bit more distance it's, it, it doesn't sound like I'm trying to be topical and failing. It sounds more like I'm I'm teaching history. So you're doubling down on the old material. I think oh, that's good. That, yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. a nice way to, to spin the outmodedness of some of exactly. our stuff. Exactly, exactly. And you've got, um. so you did, if you, your kids are, what age did you just say your kids Yeah, are? that's right. So they're now nine and ten. So when I, I mean, when I was doing the show at the Edinburgh Fringe, they were seven and nine. Yeah. Or six, seven and eight. And now... They're nine and ten, and like a lot of the jokes that written, like my stuff that my younger son has said, he was six when a lot of the stuff I'm actually talking about in the show was because obviously even when you premiere the show in 2019, you've been writing it since 2017, you know. Yeah. So. So he comes yes. across as just a very very slow. Exactly. Kid. You're like, oh wow, his his nine year old does not sound very advanced. His vocabulary is awful. And it's he does, yeah, yeah. So your kids are coming yeah. across. No, I do say, way. I do say. So he was six at this when this happened, and the other one was eight when this happened. You know, so that's the kind of that's where the the creakiness is. Yeah, it's always but, sharp when you have to explain that when you say, uh, yeah. But, but it's weird, even just phrases like. Whereas before I used to, I mean, you know, like all the time you'll say as a comedian, you'll go, this happened to me the other day and it could be two years ago. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody the other day. Yeah. It doesn't matter to the audience that it wasn't actually yesterday. Yeah. But sometimes I'll say last year and and you kind of go, I have to change that because everybody knows that there's no way that could have happened last year. They'll be reporting you for breaking lockdown. Yeah, exactly. Like I had a line in the show, which was... My younger son, Magnus, by the way, that got me a round of applause at a comedy club in Reykjavik last year, which it did. It did get me a comedy a, a round of applause in a comedy club in Iceland. The fact that I have a son called Magnus just on its own got a massive round That's of applause. That's brilliant. How long did the applause last? Was that pretty much the whole show? It was quite show? a while. I mean, yeah. I do a whole joke about the fact that it was the easiest round of applause I've yeah. ever had from a comedy club, which is telling them I had a son called Magnus. But I just have to change it to a couple of years ago yeah in a way that normally it wouldn't make any difference to an yeah. audience yeah yeah if you say i was in Reykjavik last year you just just aware people are going he couldn't have been we weren't, we weren't allowed to go anywhere last year yeah he's not a tory politician he couldn't have gone abroad yeah so it's things like that it's just it's really little stuff even talking about there's a there's a routine about how, how kids get excited by shit that's not exciting and and I try not to ruin it for them and say the things, you know, I try not to bring them down. And I'm talking about getting on a plane with them. You've seen it, right? Getting yeah. on a plane with them. And the the, 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 the the crux of it is that being on a plane is boring, but children think it's, it's exciting. But now being on a plane is exciting because I haven't been on one. I've been on a, one plane in two years. So how did you, because I saw you, I've seen you and I ended up gigging kind of twice in, I think twice in two days. I was starting to think I was yeah. your resident MC. It was in your rider that Callie Beaton must yeah. MC me. So how do you do, so that one you do, you have to caveat it. I with sort of it say is, a little line. I do sort of yeah. go with a little like, well, you, this, but you've got to bear in mind this was written back when air travel was quite mundane. Yeah. It kind of takes away the sharpness of it all that we're having to caveat things, I guess. And there'll be quick ways. The, the whole point of that one, I think, or the, not the whole point of it, but the uh, the rub at the end is that you live on a flight path. Is that are you are you uh, underneath that flight path right now? 
Yes, we haven't moved house or anything. You haven't moved house. Um, that must we have been quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> in lockdown, <laughs> was it nice to be, uh, for there to be no flights? Did you feel like it's a bloody good job someone ate that bat? Because uh, it's just quiet for the first uh, time. I mean, there, there has been very few upsides to the whole economic slowdown, but certainly the, the silence in our back garden has been noticeable. Yeah. But it's just one of those now. Now I notice every plane, <laughs> and I think you'll have lost everyone at Back Garden because that became quite a quite a bone of contention, didn't it? We all had to caveat the fact that well, it's a shit garden and it's not really even a garden and it's more the size of a pillowcase. I, my garden and I have yeah. to admit I do have a large back garden, but that's because I moved to the country. Yes, I am no longer an urban dweller. So could we all have yes. a large back garden if we lived under a flight path? Would that be one of your? Because this is all about life hacks, right? Would that be one of your life hacks? Yeah, totally, absolutely. I mean, that's why they put allotments next to railway lines. You know, yeah, so you've got to make use of the ground. I thought that was just to improve the view for commuters. I don't never thought about it from the purpose of the of the look of the uh, yeah of the of the owner of such allotment. And did you say so you've had the whole homeschooling thing? I guess going on. Little bit of that, yes. Yeah, how's the uh, marriage after that? No, uh, not not bad, to be honest with you. And again, we were able to divide and conquer. I would sometimes be with one child while my wife was with the other. One child, the elder one was pretty self-contained and the school were, were pretty on it with the distance learning. Magnus when you say self-contained, you were just like, let's assume the school's handling this one. We're going to put our efforts onto the other one. The, yeah, he's he's pretty on it. He knows how to check it. We, we, you know, you got you to check, but you, didn't, you don't need to be on him quite as much as you do the younger one. So you did all of that and you ended up, because your, your wife works in the same business, right? You guys met each other at Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah. My wife was a publicist in, in comedy. And now she's so not. She understands the business. She's no, she's just a stay-at-home mum, I believe is the term. But you oh, I think you're going to take out the just or we'll have mum's net trying to get the podcast <laughs> taken. Out. So try that one again. Well, she used <laughs> to be a stay-at-home mum and a publicist. And now she is a stay-at-home mum solely. Well saved, and you have you have the lovely Bex Colwell does your PR now, I think, don't you? She does. Yeah, yes, she's, yes. she did. But we me. set this up ourselves. Yeah. Oh, we did set this up ourselves. We, yeah, we Bex, don't be offended. Given she knows us both, uh, she might think, "Why did you do that?" Yeah. We did. We set this up all all without her. Yeah. So you I had actually done... do have. She has set up a bunch of interviews for me to do this afternoon with local has radio. She? Am yes. I the first one of the day? You are. That's but good. I, it's just coincidence that I put you in today and then Bex has put in a bunch more this afternoon. Okay. So I've got you and then a bunch of other interviews with local BBC radio. And then I'm off to get my second jab. Are you? That's my day. That's wow. a full day. Well, we've started off with some rock and roll behind the scenes of Ed Burns' life. I feel yeah. we've done well. So you're not at the sort of junket stage where you've done, you've talked about your tour and stuff like 17 times today. And I'm just going to get the kind of put no. in. Did I um, say that before? I, I'm on my own at the moment as well. My wife and kids are off at or up in Derbyshire at, at my in-laws. So I've been on my own for a few days. So I'm actually quite chatty. You probably noticed most of my answers have been fairly verbose. Yeah, really long uh, and stuff yeah, I didn't I, even want to, I know. to hear. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't uh, envy the interviewers I still have to do on, on BBC local radio when, when, I, when they get on with me. You know, I'd be like, well, what about you? No, tell us. <laughs> I just want to have a conversations. I've <laughs> just been living a, with myself. <laughs> that's why I have a podcast, because now that I'm in an empty nest, it's the only time I get human company some days. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's the cats or calling you, Ed. That's about it. That's all I've got. And over here, I haven't even got the cats. So are you, um, so in terms of your, you, you said, by the way, I, I was wondering if you've ever had this. I did a gig in Amsterdam on Saturday night. I did two over here on Saturday night. And I did the first one right after a Zoom gig. 
And they didn't do the breaks in what I considered to be a normal way. So mm-hmm. they put me on right after uh, someone out without that. I assumed that when you're closing, they'll have a break before you. Yeah. But they just went straight into me. So I didn't know I was going on stage. So what I'm saying is I arrived on stage with no thought I was about to do it. And it went fine, apart from I literally couldn't remember whether some of the things I was saying I'd said at the Zoom gig just beforehand or whether I'd said them at this gig because I hadn't quite mentally turned up so I was thinking have I said that or did I just Mm. say that on zoom have you ever been as stupid as that that you're like have I already said that in this gig where you're doubling up or tripling rarely I always like to if I'm doubling up try to do everything in the same order so as to not have that happen I did repeat myself once at a late night it must have been my fifth gig of the day and I was mucking around with Adam Bloom on stage and it's just a little ad lib. It was just, I say an ad lib, it was just a little thing about, about uh, we're talking to somebody in the audience and how it can go wrong. Like, I always wondered if, you know, somebody like uh, David Copperfield or any magician ever saying to somebody in the audience, have we ever met before? How unlucky it would be if the person in the audience says, yeah, we have actually met before. In fact, you <laughs> fucked my wife, you know. And I just think how funny that, that would be if that ever happened. And I said that at the, something had triggered it. And I said that at the start of the gig when I was doing my gig. And then later on that same gig, I got on stage with Adam Bloom and we were just mucking around. And I said that again. And how, so then people, and Adam said, I don't, Adam just went, you're so drunk, you don't realize you actually said that line earlier. And I was just so embarrassed because I said anything else, it was a line, it wasn't even a line of stand up, it was a line that I would come out with. In the course of a conversation yeah. with so somebody, so it really was meant to look like. So it an looks, impact. yes, it looks yeah. like a, an ad lib that's actually like a pre-prepared ad lib. So I then repeated it. It just, yeah. That well, I feel better about my Saturday night now. Even the best comedians in the world will will mess up. If you watch uh, Bill Hicks's Revelations mm-hmm. special, which was filmed at the Dominion in London, which I have watched. What's the yeah. mess up in that? There's a point in that. There's a and it's it's you'd notice it more if you if you're if you've also seen him do some of the routines elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But when he does the thing about um, driving around on acid, mm-hmm. don't recommend it. Please don't appreciate fish driving around. He does a whole thing normally about uh, being in one of those cars that talks and the car mm-hmm. saying the door is ajar. And how you know these guys are so they're tripping, so they're 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 laughing about it for ages. Going, how can a door be a jar? How can a jar be on a car? All this stuff. And then later, there's a cop pulls them over, and he's tapping on the window, but they're looking at him in the rearview mirror, and they're going, "Oh, he's a tiny cop. He's a little cop. <laughs> Put him in the jar." Is the punchline? Yeah. But in the Dominion, he doesn't do the bit about the door being a jar. Because somebody has no, somebody has probably told them, "Oh, we don't have that here. We don't have the, you know, over here cars just beep to let you know the doors open. We mm-hmm. don't have cars that say the door is ajar." Mm-hmm. So he obviously dropped ah. that bit, but he still does the line of going, "Put him in the jar." And then you see him as soon as he says it, and he just shrugs and goes, "Made sense to us." He's able to shrug it off. And did he get a laugh? He got a laugh. It didn't get a laugh, but it, nobody. It's not like anybody was confused. It, it, he just was able to because it's it, it talking about tripping, talking about being on acid. The fact that he said something that didn't make any sense didn't really matter to the audience. Yeah, yeah. And so also when you're him. It like a glaring mistake. But if you're a mega fan and you know his stuff off yeah, by heart yeah. and you can see, but I'm just saying, that's in his special. You can actually see a, 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 a great 
I make a mistake. Yeah. Because anyone can. And does it get easier that when you've you started uh, young, right? You started at uni doing comedy. Yeah. Well, I dropped out by then, but yeah, pretty much. So you dropped out. I was twenty-one. Okay. So you dropped out of uni, started doing stand-up at twenty-one. So you're yeah. now uh, seven years 49. into your career. <laughs> yes, you're now, uh, you're now forty-nine. I know. I was looking at. De- I realised that I've sort of missed a decade. I was looking at your date of birth. I was thinking, oh, he's been doing it twenty years. I was like, no, you've just skipped ten years, Kelly. Uh, that's a convenient thing to do at this stage in life. So you started very young and dropped out of uni to do it. Well, no, I sort of dropped out of uni because uh, I was I, I was going to be a gardener and I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I also f- was fed up with being broke and I also found it really hard. It was a BSc in horticulture I was doing, but a BSc is a, is a BSc and there's a lot of biology, physics, chemistry and maths and it was all, it was difficult. Yeah, my and son just... did a BA in animal sciences to become a zookeeper, sorry, BSc in animal sciences mm. to become a zookeeper. And similarly, he just wanted to be mucking out lemurs and he had yeah. to do all that shit you're describing as well. Yeah. But I mean, you, so you decided not to continue with that. And I did. And... It was just, I, I, I coasted through first year on what I'd learned at school. And then when it got, it started getting really hard in second year, I went, I'm too lazy for this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, I stopped. And it's, it, that's why I, I do nowadays get quite annoyed when people are sort of anti-science because I'm really quite aware of how difficult science is. Mm-hmm. And I have great admiration for people who were clever enough and hardworking enough to stick with it mm-hmm. because it's, you need to, and you need to, you need to learn things and, and, and take the knowledge you learn in one lecture and apply that to some of the stuff then you're learning in the next one. You need to hold various different concepts in your head to be able to then understand the next level. And it's, really you need to be smart and it's, it's very easy to just decide no they don't know what i went to a yoga retreat and actually i know more yeah well i think there's um there's been a lot of that hasn't there in the pandemic we know ne- i never thought something would split us as much as this pandemic has did you in terms of us sort of i never thought we'd just be discrediting whole sway whole swathes of well, I suppose we've always been a bit split, haven't we, since the world of social media. Everyone's been able to sort of dive in and get really bedded in on their side of the fence. Someone said mm. to me recently, and, and you, you, I'm sure, are familiar with this theory, but the theory about uh, sort of anti-vaxxers or, or anyone who goes really doubles down on a slightly kind of what I would say, a bit of a wacko kind of theory it's it's about them being able to then have a following who think they're amazing and they know something no one else does. So people who perhaps have never been in a position where people look to them to be the voice and them to be the oracle, that's the kind of addictive thing. And, and that's what gets them so entrenched in their opinions. I don't know if you think that's just a charitable way of looking at conspiracy theorists. Uh, I think mainly the thing that I find <clears throat> is conspiracy theories are an excellent way for, to, for people who aren't very clever to feel clever. Yeah, I think that's that's what I was trying to say. But as you can see, I'm still learning to be concise. Yeah. I'm not saying that everybody who's a conspiracy theorist isn't clever in some way, but it's just it is a very seductive thing to be to rather than learn something to simply say the people who did learn it are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. much it's much easier than learning it. Much easier to spend, you know, just an hour on the internet looking at things without any kind of uh, analytical sense and just going, you know, that sounds, that sounds good. Uh, Rather than going, rather than spending, you know, seven years researching and getting a PhD in virology, you know, it's, 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 it's people would, people are much rather think, yeah, you know what, 
do you know if you eat local honey, it cures <laughs> hay fever? That sounds great. Yeah. And it's much easier to die. It's one of those things that's just an easily digested yep. notion. It seems to make sense on the surface. Less syllables than antihistamine, easier you know, to spit out. But then if you go, well, okay, so what mechanism does that work by? It, it doesn't work. It's yeah. absolute horseshit. Yeah. But it's, you're, you're, it's like going around telling people that there's no Santa Claus when you say, no, that's not true. And and, and people just love people. I, I had a, it was a, a, a guy who used to be in our circle who was a dad at the school and he just, I just couldn't do with him anymore. He would just come out with this shit. Like, well, how did you handle it? Sidestep him or tell him you was a I just stopped talking to him. Yeah, I just went, just you know, like, he would just say shit like, do you know, all uh, 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 pepper that you eat stays in your body. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And so, you know, I've got, when you say pepper, like red peppers, chili peppers, pepper, no pepper, you know, like, oh, so just ground pepper. Yeah. And where does it stay? And then he's, and then I'm the dick because I'm going, yeah, maybe this isn't true, this thing that you're saying. Because this just sounds good. There was, um, there's a documentary on Netflix about flat earthers that I found really Yes, I watched in, that did you behind see the that? curve. And what did yeah. you think about, because it was kind of the opposite of what we're saying in that I loved the fact that they had some really reputable scientists, didn't they, commenting on it and basically saying that some of these guys do actually have the capacity to be great scientists. But for whatever reason, usually because they're social outliers, they've gone off piste and then been driven by confirmation bias. So all they've wanted are people who more and more, you know, buy into their theory. And these guys are like the kind of Beyonce's of the flat earth world, right? They go to conferences and they're heralded like rock stars. And this idea that perhaps what we should be doing when we see kind of outliers like that, who frankly, in the case of lots of them just had sort of social interpersonal kind of issues, right? Would be to try Mm -hmm. and bring them back into the mainstream or at least give them the opportunity to be part of a, to be part of a mainstream discussion rather than kind of laughing at them and pushing them further out. So it was sort of the opposite of what we're saying. Well, I think once you reach the flat earth stage, you're already, you've already tipped over. You're very over. far gone. I, yeah, because I, I think... You've gone the, through the pepper in the body some time yeah. ago. Flat earth to me is the, is the logical uh, conclusion to the, 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 the personal universe you have to build around yourself when you start with anti-vax or, or global warming scepticism or anything like that, and people start throwing scientific facts at you. You, you, you build a bigger and bigger ecosystem around yourself to 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 block out the the facts that are coming at you to the point where you don't even believe the world is round anymore Mm -hmm. so i think once people have reached that point you know i i had a friend who again i just couldn't be doing with anymore because i just got we just argue all the time we had nothing in common anymore because he just went deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole and i he was so annoying to argue with because he would just say things that simply weren't true and I said, okay, give me something that you don't believe, that's a, that's a conspiracy theory that you think is wrong. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, well, the moon landings. I don't believe the moon landings were faked. I said, okay, so, but you know how annoying it is to argue with people who mm-hmm. do think they're fake. And he was like, yeah, I can see. Well, that's what you're like with this. Mm-hmm. And I checked in on him a few months ago on Facebook, and he is now a moon landing denier as well. Oh, is he? He's yeah. progressed. So I'm just saying it just, and, it, and in five years, he'll be flat earth. You know, yeah. it, because you can see it uh, because it's very seductive yeah. because you, all you have to say, as I say, is just go, yeah, that everything you've said is wrong. Uh, yes. Or that's what they want you to believe. Or 
you're just a shit. And this is the other thing that gets me about it is very often there isn't a desire to impart knowledge or a desire to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, there's a it's the sneering. Most of the time, mm -hmm. it's yeah, you would think that because you're a sheep. It's that. Yeah, yeah. It's a desire to be superior to the idiots who believe what the government is telling them. Mm -hmm. It's 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 that. So I find it very hard to to take the more conciliatory attitude that you are displaying of where we should try and bring them on board and stuff like that because a lot of the time. The, the attitude that's coming from them is we're all idiots and they're clever. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. I do have a friend who's a GP who has another friend who's working on the wards. And she says it's incredible because the only people in hospital with COVID now are unvaccinated people. 90% mm -hmm. of whom, like, like there's like 10% who can't get it for some reason, mm -hmm. but 90% of them are anti-vax. And it's like Darwinism a, working well, but it's not. It's like a support group. Mm -hmm. They're all in there together mm -hmm. and they're in uh, the ward is an echo chamber mm -hmm. and they're all convincing themselves and each other that they've still made the right decision. How are they doing that? Refusing. That's quite a sleight of hand, isn't it? When you're actually in there. In this exact same way, you have an entire conference of people who believe the earth is flat, but they, yeah. they, they, half of them flew on a plane to get there across the globe. They just are convincing each other they none of them want to admit that they're wrong and it's it's, it's incredible and treating them is a nightmare yeah. because they they some of them actually think that you're still lying to them you're walking into a ward full of people you're trying to keep alive all of whom think you're lying to them about yeah. what they've got yeah she says it's insane yeah that does it makes what we do for a living look quite straightforward really doesn't it we, well, we, I we know, but, <laughs> but it's it is like it's a, it, you know if you ever walk up, up in front of an audience and they just hate you for even fucking being there. It's like that. You know, yeah. so you get a really hostile crowd and they're all you're like, get off, get off, get off. Yeah. You know. Although that's 20 minutes, Ed, whereas yeah. I guess these were more 20-hour <laughs> shifts. So before yeah. we get the NHS going, you know, you're talking shit. Namaste, motherfuckers. We actually met the first time at a humanist uh, convention. I think it might have been in yes. Belfast. No. And I was... Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, we did one I think it was with Tim, with Tim McGarry. I remember, I remember it was working... No, it wasn't. It, was it we not? were working together in... Uh, it was... It was Leicester. I oh, was it because Le I did yeah. do one. But Tim McGarry was there as well. Yeah, yeah Tim McGarry. I did do one in Belfast as well, but you no, weren't maybe at that one. one. Yeah. Interesting place to be talking about humanism, Belfast. Yeah. Um, so we did one in Leicester. And do you find people? I don't know how much you talk about humanism, uh, kind of in in the public domain. But do you find people kind of pile in on on humanists with a sort of degree of ignorance or assumption? Um, th there's there's certain beliefs that people like to argue with like i've plenty of friends who are vegetarian and it's just wearisome for them because mm -hmm. as soon as you they say it people just love to go well where are you wearing leather shoes yeah. some people just automatically want to start around with you because they think they think that you think you're superior to them or whatever and so vegetarians yeah. get it a lot but yes uh atheists it's not just if you if, if you say that you're an atheist then you, you sometimes get there, well, you, you can't prove that there's no God. Fine. But the one that you get quite a lot is why do atheists feel they need to organize? Mm -hmm. that's, and that's how do you one. answer yeah. that? Uh, I point out that you used to not be able to get married outside of a church. Mm -hmm. And now you can. You can now get married anywhere. It used to be, it used to be registry officer church and that was your only two choices. Now you can get married pretty much anywhere you like. Mm -hmm. That's because of atheists getting organized. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's and that's just one tiny example. 
but there is also people want to get married and people want to have funerals and they want to, uh, you know, welcome their child to the world. There are three big things that people want to do. And they are milestones that the church has very much made its own. Mm -hmm. uh, and people who don't believe in God tend to want to have an alternative and the more and more alternatives are coming up and that's because of atheists getting organized. Mm -hmm. So the idea of a funeral where a guy who doesn't know the deceased just stands there and talks about God. A lot of people find that if they don't believe in God, they don't find any comfort in it. And they also find I'd really rather talk about the guy who's dead than yeah. talk about the imaginary being you believe in. Yeah. So we, the humanism, certainly humanist UK gives people resources to, to be able to do that. And there's quite a link as well, I guess, between science and fact and humanism in terms of it's really looking at uh, attaching kind of prime importance to humans rather than thinking they're a sort of divine or supernatural uh, powers yeah. that would be controlling our destiny and how we should be living our lives. Well, I think it, it, the idea that one should live one's life in accordance to, you know, in order to please a supernatural being seems to me an, an odd way to, to, to live your life. And I, I always find it weird when you get into a discussion and and people people say, well, then what's stopping you? What's stopping you from going around killing people? Like, really? I, you say that the only reason you don't go around killing people is because God's going to punish you when you die. Yeah. And surely you have an innate sense of morality that prevents you from going around killing people. One would hope. One would, one would hope. Do, I would have thought. Yeah. And I mean, I it's think a hunch. It, yeah. Yeah. The idea I guess that, it's... It's also almost an excuse to sort of take away the idea of anything to do with psychology and nature and nurture and personality traits and so on. If we're saying we're guided by one set of rules that we're doing unquestioningly and moving through. But it's an interesting thing how people do have quite strong opinions about it, almost confusing humanism with Satanism, which is ironic, really, uh, I think, when you think about it in terms of these awful people. <laughs> have you had that? Have you had people? I've had people. Not, I, I, my kids um, went on Camp Quest, which are summer camps. I don't know if you've heard. They're quite quite recommend them if your kids are um uh, you know if you're looking to farm your kids out ever in the summer but my kids would go to this um it's actually a big american thing and it came over to the uk 10 years ago and it's human you don't have to be a humanist to go but it's summer camps for kids you get they go for a week it's um and they do kind of they have like philosophical kind of it's a bit like a uni model of a holiday camp so they do mm. kind of sessions and lectures and the kids can speak about things that it's kind of quite intellectually stimulating mm. in the morning and then in the afternoon they go kayaking and falling off walls and all the kind of usual shit that kids would do yeah. and it's quite and, and people would definitely when I said my kids were going to Camp Quest and asked what it was people would be really kind of like I think they thought they were joining a cult or something they were like well why are they going to that you know what's like quite right. suspicious of it because it wasn't the summer camp that all the kids go to right yeah oh. Well, so, I must bear that one. Yeah, write that, that one, one down. Um, yeah. And in terms of just going back to the to the comedy, for this is a, a comedy podcast. So I was going to ask you when we were talking, we, we've been quite serious so far. We really we? have. But we, it, my my editor's <laughs> going to be like, oh, let's just cut this. <laughs> seven minutes at the end when you talk about your tour your podcast yeah. and a joke um but in terms of people getting to see you so I'm interested we had a conversation at one of the gigs we did recently and you were saying you know it's all right for me in a way because I've kind of you know at least I people know who I am I can get back into it and you said imagine being one of those comedians who's like five years in and everything's opening up for them and they're really making it and then the world shuts down and I was like that's what happened to me that's what happened to you yeah <laughs> literally so many nice things that were 
about to happen fell apart and haven't quite. Some of them are coming back. Some may not. I don't know. But in terms of uh, the sort of material you do, so if you were doing stuff in the 90s, that was really kind of gag heavy, right? The the circuit at the time. There was no flesh on the bone. You just had to knock out crowd-pleasing gags. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there were other people doing other stuff. But, yeah, it was a very... Uh, I I grew up as it were in in that very sort of gladiatorial jonglers late shows yeah. you know and yeah well you, you, it was very you had to be kind of really in your face and quite aggressive yeah. and there was a little kind of shouty comedy in the nineties yeah. right it was totally. the kind of get on shout a lot do it yeah. you know and so that's a huge departure in a way from the sort of comedy you do now but also possibly because people are coming to see you instead of just mm-hmm. coming to see comedy is there a shift you can make once they're Ed Byrne fans rather than comedy fans I think you're you're given a certain amount of of Luxury, yeah. Um, when when people already know who you are, where you don't have to prove yourself as as much. But I'm still pretty shouty at times, and I'm still. I'm I've still seen you shout. Of, You've blown yeah. my hair back behind my ears with the volume. <laughs> it's there's still a lot of manufactured anger going on. Is it manufactured? But, well, I, well, I've always thought it's funny. I, I, it's one thing I've always found funny is watching somebody get angry about something that's not that big a deal. Yeah. You know, I, that is in itself, I think, quite humorous. Yes, yeah, what and, we live for at airports, right? Seeing people do that, seeing relationships fall apart and people getting so angry because their yeah. suitcase won't wheel. Yeah, yeah. But even just seeing people, like uh, comedians, just getting... Like, I, I mean, I just re- remember even Eddie Izzard just doing a thing about, I think it was oranges, but they, how hard they were to peel. And, and at the end of it, it says, so oranges can fuck off. And it's just such a <laughs> such an, a disproportionate response to simply a fruit that's hard to peel to say that it can fuck off. I think that that sort of misplaced anger is in itself, whatever the subject matter is, it's quite it's funnier than than get, than getting really angry about something that's actually you know that's political that's, that's actually really important and you should be getting angry about. And do you, know, you get angry about those things in real life or are there, is it very much staged for the comedic effect of being no, a disproportionately I, I, angry man? I, 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 I yell at inanimate objects. Do you? I, I, I could I, see that almost happening when you were trying to set up the podcast today. Yeah. I had, I had a sat-nav that we ritually smashed with a hammer at the end of the tour once because it just kept messing up. There was just something slightly wrong with the screen and you, you'd be pressing it and nothing would happen. And then suddenly loads of whys would come. Anyway, it was just it was an older one, you know. But I have literally screamed at that in a way that I, my voice was then wasn't up to the gig. With like, really? I screamed, you fucking fuck! Like that. At an, at, an, at an inanimous object because it kept malfunctioning. And really, I'm angry at myself that I haven't replaced it. Yeah, and I'm making me, I'm I'm making myself late because this thing that I know doesn't work is still in my fucking car, <laughs> delaying me. But I get so I get I get angrier at that than I'd ever would at a human being. Uh, but you know, people have said that it's frightening. And I I think because I know I'm pers- I'm not a big guy, and I'm quite a sort of fay wimpy bloke i think it doesn't matter how angry i get but, mm-hmm. but i have been told by other people 
that it can actually be quite frightening how angry I get sometimes. When they're in the orbit of it, even though it's not directed at them. Yeah, exactly. And even if if like, even if I am, am having an argument about something, again, quite inconsequential, whether Star Trek The Next Generation is better than the original series Star Trek, it could be anything that apparently I can get quite intense in a way that's like, what's this guy's problem? Yeah. And I think the reason I do is because I think of myself as so unthreatening and unintimidating that I allow myself to to to, to become angrier in a way that actually is quite off-putting to, to a lot of people. You think you've got a long way to go to be an aggressive Neanderthal kind of a guy, so you've got plenty of, plenty of slack to be beating well, exactly. up inanimate objects. Yeah, I, people, I think people will just dismiss me as like a, like a Jack Russell, you know, just nipping. I think that's I, I, that's how I view myself when I'm getting angry about stuff. But apparently, even even a Jack Russell, if it goes, it's actually I think the only dog that's ever somebody. bitten me in my life yeah. is a Jack Russell that actually properly tore into my calf. So there you right. go. If you, so, you've used the wrong animal, as far as I'm concerned. Well, maybe I, well, maybe I've written the perfect animal because I think of myself as a Jack Russell, but maybe I am actually. You're a yappy of... little bastard who will yeah. bite. <laughs> Uh, did the, what do you think about the anger in the pandemic then? Do you think uh, I've noticed it particularly in the, on the road when I'm driving? People are so fucking angry at the moment uh, on a level I've never. I'm wondering if it's the sort of um, real life equivalent of hiding behind a Twitter handle and just spouting shit that when people are in their car, they're like, I can be a dick. My windows are shut. I'm out. Have you noticed that? I think that's all. Well, I haven't noticed it in any to a greater extent. I I've always, I mean, that's that. That is a common thing that road rage is is again so, out of so disproportionate to the to the crime committed, the anger that 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 people will will indulge in. I think perhaps people are quite out of practice driving. Yeah, and I think people are that's back on sure. the roads, and and also the roads are far more congested than they normally are yeah. because nobody's gone abroad for holidays. So yeah, so I think that's what's contributed to it. Really, there's just more people and they're all driving quite badly. Talking of the pandemic, so you've always loved walking and yeah. as a as a mini walker. So I, I love, I run more than walk, but I do love walking. I live mm. near Hampstead Heath and I've always run and walked on Hampstead Heath for the last two, three decades. And it really pissed me off in the pandemic. I was like, my mm. lovely local Hampstead Heath mm. is full of people who don't even like Hampstead Heath, uh, mm. which is a very first world thing to have just mm. said. But how did you feel about everyone getting into the great outdoors when really it's always been your great outdoors not theirs. well i know i've always liked the idea of trying to encourage other people to get the great outdoors my problem was that the great outdoors was shut for most of the pandemic yeah you know, the lake district was shut who knew they could shut the lake district that was scotland was shut they shut yeah they shut scotland. scotland i know i remember when we were shut down in march 2020 i remember thinking to myself right kids are home and then we'll have the summer and I remember thinking optimistically, I'm looking forward to September 2020 because the kids will be back at school. I won't be back at work. I'm just going to go to Scotland and just go walking. And Scotland went, no, yeah. <laughs> you are not coming here. And the, and the kids only went back to school for a bit and they it was, we were still locked down pretty hard again. I did a bit of walk in, in October, which is when I was able to film the four episodes of the adventuring YouTube thing that I do. Uh, but then we just we were shut down again. So, yeah, I I, I thought that, that going onto the hills would be the silver lining of the of the pandemic. And, and then even that was was taken. And how is that for you? Because as somebody I, I definitely 
the running for me is largely about mental well-being so mm-hmm. just just being with me it's probably the most mindful I ever get and with my mm-hmm. thoughts and working shit out literally grounded on the ground yeah it's also green and nature and I've never realized how much I need to see green around me as I did once right I got pneumonia in a um, hotel in the middle of New York on Times Square and nice. they did hospital treatment in the room and I was in well. this horrible I just thought, God, what wouldn't I give to see a plant, a tree? I never realized, I've always lived in cities since I've been an adult, but I never realized that. So for you, what, what is the, I mean, I know you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're good at it. So you're properly kind of fit. <laughs> more, you're more than a sort of ambler. Um, you're more than Teresa Maying it, although maybe she is really yeah. fit. I don't know. But is the, um, yeah, what, what is it that it brings to you? I, I, well, I, first of all, I, I love going, it's going uphill, up, up and down hills is what gets me. I think just a simple walk in the country isn't enough for me. So you need if, the hills. The if it's flat, I go for a run. I went for right. a run yesterday for the first time in a long time. And it's really, How was it? really has broken a bit of a cycle of, of, of just doing nothing. Yeah. And Could you was, do it still? Did you have enough residual fitness? I just fitness? did 5k yeah. and it was about 20 seven minutes so it wasn't it's not fast. so bad after not running for so long i know yeah but um i mean I, like a couple of years ago i was doing a 10 I, I was doing the odd 10k and managing to do it in less than 50 minutes so i, yeah. I was which is a good pace i got listeners. pretty good at running yeah and and now i've got bad but yeah i've gotten into a bit of a uh a cycle of just waking up hungover and not feeling like doing it all day and then just getting drunk again that night you know well whilst not working and how is that because you're sort of half purpose you're half joking about it or maybe you're not but the thought going into those cycles of I kind of I don't know if it's the same for you I'm definitely all or nothing I'm either I'll get up I'll write I'll be mindful I'll run um, I'll moderate my uh, alcohol intake and I'll eat the right things or I'm like ah you know I'm just gonna I don't care everything goes to shit I'm not very good at the middle ground and you you only liking your uphills and your downhills how are you with the kind of middle yeah no I'm a bit sort of I I find it very easy to just slip into uh, 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 doing nothing and when and again first lockdown I dug a vegetable patch. I moved sheds around in the garden. I built this terraced, um, sunken patio with flowers all around. I, I, I went all out. I, I, did, you know, I knocked myself out. Full lockdown cliche. Doing, yeah, all kinds of stuff. And now I can't even be bothered to refill the bird feeders. Like I've got a real kind of, what's the There's point? There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's, I, I know, I, it is, I, I'm not, because proper depression is a more serious thing and I'm not labelling myself in that way, but I'm definitely feeling myself get the the, the blues. And yesterday, as I, said, I went for a run and it made a massive difference, you know. So I I'm, I'm definitely feel like I'm actually on, 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 a, on an upswing out of what has been a, a bit of a low um, ebb. And the walking must be, <clears> if, if you are someone who loves proper kind of trekking and really, <clears> you know, um, what's is it called? What's the name for people who love going up? Who love well Monroe bagging? Well, Monroe bagging is a specific subset of hill walking. Monroe's at the Scottish mountains above three thousand yes. feet. There's two hundred and eighty-two of them. How many have and you bagged? I have done a hundred and fifteen, I think. Hundred and seventeen. So, and they're dotted all over Scotland as well. The furthest south is just above Glasgow, is Ben Lomond, <clears throat> but they go all, all over, and. I've done the most northern one, most eastern one, and the most western one. 
And do you bag them on your own or do you do them? A lot of the time I do, simply because I just, it's hard to find people who are free when I'm free. Rod Gilbert's not always available, is he? Well, Rod only, we we, we did a a hike in Pembrokeshire, me and Rod. Yeah, I watched Um, it. I loved it. I used to go, I used to go, uh, there was, you know, there's various people I, I, I used to do it with for one reason or another. Uh, the, the, w- one friend of mine who's who's now a fl- uh, you know on his way th- that guy I was talking about before who who's now a uh, a, a moon landing denier uh, used, used to go with him a lot but I just he had his hip replaced anyway so he can't get up the hills anyway but, and you um, literally can't get away from that shit when you're up a mountain with somebody and they start spouting that kind of crap it's hard to say anyway listen to, uh, the exactly. washing is taking out the machine I've, I've got to go now yeah. is this, so it must be so like, you, know, I, yeah. you know yourself as a comedian you you you're, you're working weekends and you're free at weirder yeah. times. So it's hard to find people who are free when you're free to do it. So it, 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 in, I, inevitably, I end up doing it on my own a lot. And do you? That must be no. I just had a kind of a. It wasn't COVID, but I was ill for a couple of weeks with like a bronchial thing, and it was so annoying. I was like, who gets ill at the moment? It's very unfashionable to get ill with something that's mm-hmm. not COVID, and it meant I couldn't gig and I couldn't run. And I realised without those two things, my mental health within about. 48 hours took a massive plummet and I thought wow if someone actually took those two things away from me permanently mm-hmm. I do not think my sense of self is as robust as I'd like to I'd like it to be so is I guess the things that keep that have always kept you going right as an adult I mean I know you have a wife and kids and that's all hugely important in terms of yes. grounding you but if comedy and <laughs> the outdoors are the yeah. two things you need yeah. this has been a shit show yeah, yeah, yeah. It really has. It really has. And uh, I got out to, I had a gig. I was gigging in the Midlands and then I and then I had two days off and then I was gigging in North Berwick. So I drove up and I went, I, I stopped off in the Lake District for a couple of days and did some hiking there. And it, 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 it made the, a world of difference. Although even then I, I, I filmed myself while I was doing it for my YouTube channel. So I was still, it was still kind of became work and it's still yeah. kind of, but. Are you filming it, yourself when you do that stuff then? So how yeah, are you and doing? I, exactly. And I was, well, on this occasion I was, yeah. yeah. And I, it's an experiment. I haven't edited. Because adventuring, you've yet. got someone filming you presumably. Yes, exactly. I got Barry Castanola filming it. Uh, but I did, yeah, I did think of actually putting the camera on a tripod and then getting back and then walking past it. So it made my, the whole thing seemed very artificial and, and analyzed. So I don't, you know, it, it made it less enjoyable, but it was still, it was amazing to be out there and to just sit on top of a hill. I don't know what it is about going up and down hills that I like. I don't, I, I, people, I should really have an answer to the question because I get asked it a lot. What do I get out of climbing mountains? And I have no idea, but I just know I find walking just general country walking isn't that thrilling. I as I'd rather go for a run or go get on my bike. But I love my favorite thing is is the when you get to the top of a hill on a two hill day. When you're at on the top of a hill and then you can see the top of the love other a two hill, hill you're day. going to do. Yeah. And and sometimes it's quite a dispiriting amount of height you have to lose before you then gain the the second hill. But there's just something about being on top of a hill and knowing you've got one more to do before home. I find that very 
It sounds but, to me as if you're you've just picked a metaphor for all your life choices. So you've picked <laughs> your career is up a hill. Sometimes you're going down a hill. You see the hill you're going to go up to, and then you literally go. So yeah, I would say um, Ed Byrne, never a fan of the flat would be. That's what I'm going to say at your funeral <laughs> if I get the invite. So you know, and I've just got to ask you before I ask you the questions I ask everybody. Yes. Um, as a massive Americanophile and having worked in mm-hmm. a, for American TV companies most of my career. You've done five appearances on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, is that right? That's correct, yeah. yeah. Five. So, yeah. go on, you've just got to tell me what it is like. To, I would just so love to do stand-up on, uh, well, obviously now it would be with Stephen Colbert. What is it like doing uh, doing that? It's very nerve-wracking. And even though it's not live, uh, there's there's very little to gain and everything to lose. <laughs> so it's I don't know why I put myself through it. Because Cause it was a mountain many... that you needed to get yeah. to the top of. Yeah, I think I just fancied it. But maybe two million people will see it in a country of well, over 300 million. So it's an insignificant amount of audience. But if you die on your arse and you get cut from the show, you'll never work in Hollywood again. Yeah. So it's really... How it, long it, do they give you? So, I mean, because I used to four work minutes, on... Three and four and a half minutes, minutes yeah. maybe four. Yeah. Uh, and you do... Um, Stu Smiley, who's the segment producer, will go around... You'll go around clubs the night before, maybe the two nights before, going from club to club just getting your four and a half minutes, your four minutes down, mm-hmm. just trying it out. And because mm-hmm. he's the guy from Conan O'Brien, he he can just get you on everywhere. Mm-hmm. we got a guy who's on the show uh, on Thursday. Can we come in and can he run a set? And they're always happy for you to do it. And so you go in, so it's like going to the gym and, mm-hmm. and training to make sure you get it just right. And the one time I didn't do that, because I was at the Montreal Festival, mm-hmm. it, 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 it the first routine I did didn't work. Really? I got it back with the second routine, but I did a routine about leg warmers. So then what happens? Do they it cut? still stayed in. It was okay. Okay. But it wasn't It wasn't a strong set. Of the five I did, that was the, the weakest one. And we is it like that Apollo, before. that when you've done it, they're like, that's it, now you've burnt that material, else you're not supposed to be doing that material elsewhere anymore, or you can you can do what you no, like? No, I think you can still continue to do it, because as I say, it's such a small proportion of... Yeah. Uh, of people who have actually seen it for the for the population of the country. Namaste, motherfuckers. What would you pick as your namaste motherfucking moment? I I I mean, I think it would probably be the 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 last time I ever did an open spot, which was at uh, Jonglers in Camden, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember Tim Clark was hosting, and it was. I always say it was like the final scene in a film about a young man who wants to be a stand-up comedian. Cause it just, I had, I had, I just had this five minutes down and it was, again, it was quite in your face, aggressive. There was not an ounce of fat on it. It was joke, 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 joke. And it just went so well that uh, they, 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 they put me onto weekends straight away. Um, it, it, it's very hard to tell the story without sounding really, really conceited, though. Go, on, go full asshole on it. Well, there was a moment where the crowd started chanting, "We want dead, we want dead." You see, the thing is, when you're an sure, open, this spot, isn't a dream. Uh, this I swear happened. to God, this is what there happened. There are witnesses. They're je- not only here's the thing. This is why it was like this final scene of a of the scene of a movie. It's like Mrs. Maisel. I didn't even know this until afterwards. The 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 the, the uh, venue manager told me afterwards that just after I got off stage. The guy who owned the club had phoned about something else. And the guy was on the phone to the owner of the club. And then as an afterthought, the guy said, oh, and how did the open micer do? And it was right then that the crowd were chanting. "We And, and the guy went, 
guy said, this is the guy said, open the door there, will you? And they pulled open the door and he held up the phone to the crowd chanting, we want Ed, we want Ed. <laughs> and he went, that that's how the open spot went. And he said, oh, well, I guess we put him straight on to weekends then. So it was, you couldn't write that. What a shame that it was before the days when we would always be recording our stuff on voice notes as open micers so that we can improve on it next time. It's oh, an, no, I, I never recorded my stuff. I recorded myself Because you didn't once. have a ghetto blaster and it was the early 90s. No, I had a dictaphone. I had a dictaphone. A dictaphone. Yeah, I had a dictaphone. Did you have it next and, to your filofax? I never had a filofax. I have a filofax now, Excellent. but I just use it to keep notes on my planting in the garden. <laughs> That is anyway, the least no, showbiz thing yeah. anyone's ever said on the podcast. When I had a dictaphone and I recorded my an open spot I did at the Ball and Banana and I died on my arse and I and that was it. I went and I never taped my open spots after that because it was just silence. Because just the one you. time I did, I died on my arse, and even though I'm not superstitious, I just went right. Well, I'm not doing that again. I don't mind the taping them. It's the listening back. I find, when you're doing a whole show, do you do you not record yourself and listen back to it then? Because that's the bit that's actually put me off doing another solo show. I hated the listening back and tweaking so much. I, I mean, as I say, it, it was a painful experience listening to my own show whilst driving to Cornwall. Um, but uh, yeah, usually I don't. I don't like to listen back. Okay, but I like I that. Too. I do. I do have. Yeah, I do have a record. I, I don't have it anymore. But I did record myself dying on my arse for five minutes at the Ball and Banana. Where I got one line, I got one joke, I got one laugh, which was at the end, because I was smoking a cigarette. That's how long ago it was. Mm. And at the end of the set, I said, they say that every cigarette you smoke takes five minutes off your life. It's just a shame you don't get to choose which five minutes. <laughs> and that, that, that was the only re- Was that an ad lib? That was an ad lib. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Was. Shame we can't use that anymore, uh, as we <laughs> won't be smoking. And what is your favourite joke? My favourite stand-up comedy routine... Is Larry Miller's Five Stages of Drinking, which oh, I urge yeah. people to look up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. Good mm. call. But um, uh, one of my favourite jokes that anyone's written, I think, is Lee Mack. Lee Mack has a great line, which was, um, I used to think I wanted three children until I had two. And now I realise I only want one. <laughs> and I think that's just, I just, I just think it's a beautiful joke. Lee Mack now has three children, by the way. But I yes. just, I absolutely <laughs> love that joke. <laughs> He writes, his work ethic is phenomenal, isn't it? He just writes and writes. It's kind of the, it's the opposite of your uh, drinking all night, Ed, and feeling on a bit of a low. He would be there at eight o'clock, metaphorical pen in hand, writing for eight hours, come rain, come shine. Well, it, it's paid off. He's a funny bloke. Yeah, it's paid off all right for you as well. And uh, yeah, I think I think your approach is more appealing to many people. Uh, not saying that you're a slacker. Um, so, Ed, if there was one bit of life advice you could give to anybody listening, what would it be? Oh, um, I find some way to remember things. I realise that I... Now, this probably doesn't apply so much anymore because everybody's everybody's recording everything on their phone anyway. And your phone will spit out memories of things that happened six months ago or last year. So it's, it's kind of being done for us now. But there's a lot of stuff that I just did or went through or even jokes I wrote 20 years ago that I've just forgotten. There's people I've forgotten. There's just all this stuff that I've forgotten. And I wish I wished I'd kept a diary. I wish I kept some sort of a log of just where I was and what I was doing. Because even without your memory going, even without, you know, just not being as sharp as as I used to be, just stuff you just can't be expected to remember that mm-hmm. much of your own personal history. Mm-hmm. And I I I I kind of regret some of the stuff that I I just can't bring to mind now because I don't have any 
even keepsakes or notes to just bring me back there. I kept a diary when I, w I went on holiday to the Grand Canyon back in 2002 and I kept some notes. Just I just wrote notes just to remember what happened on each day. And, and have you still got them? And I did, yeah, and I found yeah. them and I was just looking at them and, and, that, and that brought it back in a way yeah. that just trying to remember that holiday wouldn't. Yeah. So I, that would be my advice, you know, just write shit down. If you're enjoying yourself or, you know, whatever, just keep a little bit of a diary and, and put it somewhere safe because you will need that to to bring a lot of memories to mind. And if you've got that aid memoir, it, it, it's quite rewarding. That That would be my advice. I'm just wondering if someone said to you, listen, we really want to get the autobiography done. And you're like, and they're like, no, you just dig it. No and you're one, like, oh, shit, I've got no nothing. No one has asked me to do an autobiography. Well, and you I'm can't. not sure that I would either, <laughs> even if, if even if I was asked. I think I think my tendency to overshare would, uh, would burn a lot of bridges with an Those are the ones we like. Those are the ones we want. That was the wonderful Ed Byrne. Now, every episode, as you know, I pick a thing inspired by my guests that I am going to try. And this week, I am going to find a hill that I can climb. I mean, I can't say I'm going to bag myself a Monroe just yet, but I might at least make it to the North Downs. So, lovely listeners, that is it for this week. Uh, before I go, a big shout out to you for supporting the podcast. Please remember to rate us on iTunes, leave a review if you haven't already, and keep on spreading the good word. Namaste, motherfuckers. So we'll be back in your feed next Monday, as always, when I will be talking to comedian, writer and host of the hit BBC podcast, No Country for Young Women, Sadia Asmat. I guess I discovered comedy in my teens. Um, it was really naughty and it was the only vice I guess I could uh, access. Namaste Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dummy for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. <laughs>Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.